if you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what type of play my two-year-old should be engaging in, or, you know, my child just seems kind of delayed in play. This is going to be a great episode for you to listen to. We talk all about different play skill milestones. And so we break down what does play look like for children who are 18 months old? What does play look like when a child is two years of age? And there are so many differences between those different age spans. And then we give really great actionable tips and strategies that you can use either as a provider or as a parent to help support your child's play skills. I had a great conversation today with Kayla from Walkie Talkie. She is an amazing speech language pathologist located out on the West Coast in sunny California. And I'm real excited for you to listen to this episode. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. All right. Thanks for joining us on episode 41 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. We have a great episode today. We have with us Kayla Chaco from Walkie Talkie. I'm so excited to finally meet you. I've uh, definitely been a fan of all your YouTube videos and all the great information um, that you have with us. So thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you on. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we've been following each other for a few years and been amazing to see what other people out there are doing to help spread the word about positive communication skills for kids. Absolutely. And can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey into being a speech therapist and kind of how you specialize? I know you specialize in helping younger students. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started with all that? Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't know anything about speech pathology until mid-college. I'd never really heard of it, but I knew I wanted to work with kids, knew I had a knack for that. So started out as a preschool teacher while going to college for music. Not sure what I wanted, maybe like music therapy. But at that same time, I had three little brothers that needed speech therapy, all in different types of speech therapy. But specifically the youngest, he was two. He was talking up a storm, but we could not understand anything he said. (laughs) So he started going to speech therapy and I started attending And I was amazed. This speech therapist did some very simple yet effective things. And all of a sudden, I could understand what my two-year-old brother was saying. And we were building the connection more easily that way. So I was so inspired by that. Switched my major over. Wow, that's really fascinating because I don't, I have a new backdrop today. I was previously taping in my office, my home office, if you're watching this on YouTube, and um, I have a harp in there. So I actually grew up playing the harp. And I thought at one time, I didn't know what a music therapist did. That's so interesting that you said that. But I thought at one time too, when I first started in the field, because I actually never had a speech therapist, I didn't know anybody that went to speech therapy. My mom actually gave me a career test. That's how I kind of got on speech therapy. Um, Yeah, yeah, but I always kind of thought music has always played a part in my life. So that's so fascinating. Did you play an instrument or did you play piano or what kind of thought you started on the music? Uh, I was learning piano, but I was vocalist. And so was interested in like trying to be an opera star, Broadway star, but maybe I'd work with kids on the side as a music therapist. At the time, though, there wasn't a lot of research to support its effectiveness. So I was worried about job security. And, you know, I'm really glad I found speech pathology, but I got to say, I use music every day with my kids and I'm sure you do. So I've still integrated that. Oh, that's amazing. Oh. 
Okay. So that might be why you have the, uh, the super helpful killer YouTube channel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a, kind of a performer at heart. I love that yeah. so much. It's really interesting. I've had a lot of different speech therapists um, and professionals on the podcast, but it's so interesting because I feel like a lot of us are really creative um, spirits. So like Chris Winger, I don't know if you know him, but he he lives out in California. He's speech dude mm-hmm. and he is into music. I think he might be a DJ or something. Everybody kind of yes. has their own creative outlet, which I think is so interesting with speech therapy because I feel like it's definitely a science, but everybody's application and how they plan therapy sessions is going to be so you know, very different. I just got off a consult call. I do a lot of these international consults with parents. And I was saying, you know, one professional may tell you that therapy should be at the table. Another professional may tell you that, you know, I subscribe to more of a play-based approach. And so it could be the one science, but everybody's going to have a different application of it. Isn't that true? Yes. And I love to hear different people's backgrounds coming into play. And so music is one of those things for me. It sounds like for Chris, how do Yeah, that's very cool. So I'm excited to have you on today to talk all about play. I think talking about play-based therapy and how we can integrate, you know, play is so very important. I know that I really try to... So I have a small private practice called ABA Speech. I'm a, a private therapist and also a school therapist, but I try to coach parents on the power of play and how we can work on so many things embedded within play and functional routines. And I feel like sometimes people think that speech therapy in order to be effective needs to take place at a table. And so sometimes I really have to do a lot of coaching with other professionals and with parents to say that, no, these are the teachable moments, you know, um, starting with play is really, really important. So can you tell us just a little bit about why, you know, a focus on play can be so very instrumental for communication-based skills? Yeah, absolutely. I learned that firsthand as a preschool teacher when I was 18, 19, 20, that I could sit in front of kids with a book and instruct all day, or I could get down on the floor and I could play with them and introduce those concepts while using a silly bear voice. And guess what's going to stick? The silly bear voice that was also teaching the alphabet. So, <laughs> so I learned that firsthand, but then the science supports it. And so that's the really exciting thing is the amount of time that someone could send, spend doing something more formal, more instructional versus the amount of time someone can spend playing with a child while sneaking in concepts so much more effective, so much more impactful and meaningful, as well as bringing connection between the adult and the child. Even if you've got multiple children around too, then you've got the social skills playing into there. So the science supports it, my experience supports it, and I've seen it on the daily be the most effective way to teach a young child. Yeah. And I love that idea about the connection, the social connection. I know, you know, we talk a lot about joint attention as a, a speech therapy yeah. term um, and things like that. But what I've been trying to tell parents about is that we really need to just focus on these shared activities because I think sometimes parents can feel so very overwhelmed and, and therapists too, especially when you're working with yeah. autistic students or students who are struggling communicators about where do we get started? Like, how do I plan a therapy session uh, with a child that maybe is not easily engaged with the tasks that we plan? And so I keep going back to this idea of these, you know, shared activities and how that can be really impactful. And I think sometimes it's really just hard for people to conceptualize what does that mean? You know, like I have 
a lot of parents that I work with in the home environment and I'll like have a book and I'll be like Pete the cat and I'll be reading the book. And, you know, parents are so um, worried about the child needing to sit there the whole time that I've been doing a lot of coaching about, just like you said, like, let's get down, let's do a silly voice. The child will come back. I think that's what's so important is we can't make the students learn. We have to just be really engaging. I've been saying play partners, you know, not not play directors, oh, yeah. but I like that. Yeah. Play partners. Yes. Yeah. Trademark so, that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. There we, we heard it here first. Um, episode <laughs> 41. So can you tell us, I think sometimes it's just hard to remember some of those milestones, you know? So I think what we were going to try to talk about today, or maybe where should children's play skills typically be at some of the different ages? And then maybe what are some activities that we could embed, whether we're listening as a parent or professional to help our children kind of increase those skills. So can Could you talk to us a little bit about some of the different milestones at some of the different ages for play skills? Sure, sure. And I want to say up front that some parents can get a little bit nervous when they start hearing the word word milestone. Have you experienced this? And they already feel like, oh no, my kid's not measuring up. But these are guidelines, as you know. And so I just want to express that for the parents. These are guidelines based on, you know, lots of years of research. They're not exact. And so every, every child is different, but this gives us a guideline to go, hmm, maybe that's an area that I can work on more. One area of weakness doesn't equal disorder, doesn't equal autism. It just is something to identify and um, work on. But we're going to work on it through play, just like you said, as a play partner. Mm-hmm. So it should be hopefully something fun for the parents and for therapists as well. Yeah. So what age group do you want to start with, Rose? How about like itty bitties, like six to 12 months? Like what should we be thinking about, you know, at that age range? What is something that would be kind of like typical at that age? Yeah. It's amazing how playful the itty bitties are. And sometimes parents, especially new parents, don't notice those little moments as play. And so if they're willing to learn more and become more aware, then they get more involved often. So as a speech therapist, I try and point out those little moments like, look, do you see that little like that side eye that the kid gave you? Like that's expressing probably this emotion. But to be detailed about this six to 12 months, they're definitely starting to engage with some social games and speech therapists call those social games, but parents would be familiar with them as like peekaboo and patty cake. So they're involving the hands, they're involving the face, they're is some words, some songs with it. But the idea is I, as the adult, am doing something and the child's doing something together, connecting. I do it. She does it. I do it. She does it. And it's this back and forth. The child's learning some imitation skills along that, um, along with those kind of games. So a lot of, uh, I'd say, American parents are super familiar with peekaboo and patty cake. There may be other games that other cultures have, and that's great. But the idea is a little something silly that's about connection and about a back and forth copycat kind of thing between the parent and the child. That's so fun. And I remember, I have three kids of my own. I remember when my my firstborn started playing peekaboo, it was just like, it's one thing to be a speech therapist and talk to parents about you know what typical language development looks like and how we can help support their students. But then and to see typical language development kind of unfold is really the most amazing thing. I remember my daughter had a little blankie and she was in the car in her car seat and I was kind of turned around looking at her probably as a passenger in the seat and I remember her doing peekaboo. And what I found to be the most absolutely amazing thing is that she was so reinforced by my excitement. You know, like we would play it. She was playing it. It wasn't actually me doing the blankie. I think I probably had modeled it probably thinking back 
back yeah. in my mind, but she wanted to do it. And she thought it was so cool that she could do it on her own. And when you see things like that, I am just immediately really in awe of that because I understand how really powerful that is and, and that yeah. social awareness and that kind of activity. So I think that's really, really, that's so cool to be able to start with something like that. And I think sometimes our kids just need to like for us to model it first. Um, yeah. And then my daughter was like, oh, I can do this. And she really loved it when we would laugh and it kind of, you know, reinforced that behavior and then she would do it more and she thought it was a game. So exactly. And that's wonderfully age appropriate as well. That showing off is what professionals might call it. It's like they're doing something on purpose to get a reaction from you because they're interested and they care about what you think of them. Yeah. So that's an, that's an age appropriate expression as well that we pick out and I try and point to parents like, look at that. That was great. We want more of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So what about, so we did six to 12 months. What about like 18 months of age? So students that are kids that are a little bit older, what can we expect from their play? Yeah. 18 months. That is a fun age. And a lot of kiddos that come to me are right around that 18 month mark. And that's where I find parents are realizing that some things are a little bit behind and they need some professional help. So kids are going to be doing certain kind of play skills like using tools. And parents may not even think of this, but using a spoon to pretend mix in a cup or a bowl or pretend pour or in the bathtub pouring from this container to that container playing with maybe some sensory activities like beans or rice or noodles things like that a hammer with a hammer and peg toy those are like super classic toys right and while they might look boring in the store because they don't light up and sounds they're really great developmentally as you know because a child's learning I do something with my hand here and this happens over here. This idea of cause and effect. So that 18 month old phrase, they're getting really interested in cause and effect. And that's very important for their brain development. They're even starting to introduce some pretend play into their play schemes. So like feeding a doll. And I love to see that. I love to see their little imaginations start to develop. And they might feed the doll. They might feed themselves, feed mommy. And if mommy gives a fun reaction, then that's going to encourage the little one to do that more. So that's all brain flexibility. That's creativity. That's trying, experimenting, and being rewarded for, for trying something new. Yeah, I love that idea of pretend play. And I I think I might have told this story once on the podcast, but I had a student, I had these little Shopkins. They're almost like a mini object. They were my child's old toys. This is like my... my, Yes, my finished basement is a gem of like toys that I just go down and I use them all for therapy now. And I had, there was a shoe with all these Shopkins. I don't know how a shoe got in there. It was like a doll shoe. And so my, I was working with an autistic client in his home and he's a very early learner, doesn't have a whole lot of functional language. And we were just looking at the Shopkins and we were talking about them because he thought they were very fun. And so it got to the shoe and he picked it up and he said, shoe. And he labeled it all on his own, which I thought was so cute because he wasn't really talking spontaneous a lot. And then he tried, he looked at the shoe because it was bigger than the Shopkins. So it was a little bit bigger. He looked at the shoe and then he tried to put the shoe on his foot, which I thought was (laughs) so cute. And then he tried to put it on my foot and then try yeah. to put on mommy's foot. And I was trying to tell the mom like, wow, this is really amazing. Like he labeled it on his own. He's trying it. He thinks it might fit. I didn't know if it was pretend play <laughs> or he knows that a shoe goes on your foot, but I was trying to show yeah. her like, wow, this is really 
this is exciting stuff, you know yeah. what I mean? So. And we've been trained to notice those things. And then yeah. you have your own experience as a mother, but a lot of new parents, especially like, you know, like it's just being silly again. Right. <laughs> and so I like that you out loud pointed out what was good, why was good. Yeah. And to encourage it. So yeah. I'm excited about that. That was very I cool. love stories like that. Yeah, that was awesome. That was a cool moment. So tell us, like, let's talk about one more age range, like maybe about two years old, what play looks like. And then maybe we can get into some strategies about how we could work on these things too. So if a two-year-old, sure. um, what type of play skills would we typically see? Two-year-olds are going to be continuing those pretend play skills. And so we might see an activity like playing house where they're imitating a lot of actions that they saw their caregivers do. So maybe they're pretending to clean up and they're pretending to take care of a little baby. And this isn't going to be too intricate, too detailed at the two-year-old level. It's going to progressively get more complex, but you're going to see like, oh, she's pretending to be like me right now. Like she's cooking, she's having her coffee. (laughs) So that playhouse is going to start to develop. And of course, these kinds of things develop as they're shown those things. So if a child's not exposed to this kind of play and, and maybe hasn't been around mom like doing activities or dad or whatever caregiver doing these activities, then they're not going to imitate them. So it is definitely connected to environment and exposure. But at this brain stage of two to three years old, the brain's ready to start pretending like what they see mommy and daddy do. And actually these days I see a lot more kids pretending to talk on the phone. Yes. Scrolling. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So whatever they see, they're going to start right. pretending to be right. just like you. <laughs> I like that. I do. I always try to put myself on a, a behavior plan every once in a while when I need to about my phone, just so I'm nice. present. But that definitely, that makes a lot of sense. That is, you know, everybody has their phone, right? It's interesting for me to be in line at Starbucks or wherever I am and to see, you know, people scrolling on their phone, you know, oh, yeah. like everybody just kind of, if they have a moment, to themselves instead of engaging in small talk. I mean, although the pandemic is probably affecting that too, right? We just kind of get our phone out and see what's happening in the world. So good point. Yeah. Pick up on that too. Absolutely. It's true. And this two to three year old range is when children are, are watching other children imitating what the other kids are doing and trying to join in with their play and right. play a little bit. They're not going to have too much actual, they're not the cooperative play quite yet, but right. they're trying to get in there and play for a moment and then they'll go away and they'll watch yeah. and they come back. And so we're seeing the pandemic affect those kinds of social skills as well. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure that there's so much out there. And it's interesting you talked about milestones. I actually had Allison Force, who is a fellow speech therapist. She came right. on an episode of the Autism Outreach Podcast and we just kind of talked about what milestones mean and what they are and things like that. And so parents don't get upset and overwhelmed. I remember with all my kids getting the just the screeners from the pediatrician and then you're kind of looking at them and saying like, oh my gosh, is my child doing this? And, you know, just feeling nervous. You want to make sure that you're supporting your kids. So thanks for prefacing it like that. Um, Such great information. And thanks for sharing that because we haven't done a deep dive about that. So if people are listening and they're like, oh, I really want to start, you know, incorporating some of these strategies for my students or my own kids at home, what are some strategies that we could do to incorporate play to work on some of these different skills that you discussed? 
Yes, I think probably the number one best way to start for parents is working on the mindset. And that's kind of a trendy word right now, mindset. Yes. But I found that it, it actually is really meaningful in this process because I, we spoke of it in the beginning, how we can feel pressured, even as therapists, like, eh, I need to look professional and be at the table with the child. <laughs> yeah. But eh, that's not working so much. It's down on the ground, like we said. So changing our mindset from like, I need to get my kiddos milestones up to, I need to have a, I need and want to have a, a moment of connection with my child where we're in sync with each other and we're giggling about something. And so changing the mindset from instruct, instruct to I'm here connecting. And maybe play can be even an intimidating word for some parents. That I find that fathers are nervous sometimes in speech yeah. therapy when it's time to play. And so taking even that play word away and just being about connection. Every parent knows how to connect with their child on somewhere or another. And tickling is almost the easiest way to get it started. So if that makes people comfortable, start with some some tickles. And then we're feeling silly, we're feeling loose, and we're about to, let's say we're about to have snack time. So we're feeling silly, we're feeling loose. It's our favorite snack. We're already in like a play connection mode. And so that opens us up to feeling comfortable. So what I was trying to say is mindset is most important right. <laughs> for therapists and parents to be about connection. If you're not connected with the child in the moment, then you're just talking to the wall, teaching ABCs, like good for right. you, but not good for the kid. Right. So having that positive mindset of like, I want to connect with my child right now. Yeah, I love that. That's such a good idea. And the mindset is so good because I think sometimes, you know, we come in, I have my clipboard, right? With my little oh, yeah. notes. And, you know, we're worried about, especially as a school-based therapist, sometimes you're just so nervous about getting work done on all the different IEP goals. But I always talk oh, yeah. about it too. Like we really just have to, you know, build a rapport with the child nice. and make sure that we kind of understand, you know, what they like and, you know, oh, yeah. things that we can present present in therapy. And I think it is, I was talking today with a parent who, you know, was definitely coming from the thought of, you know, work has to be done at the table. This is where we do work. And she has a child yeah. who is not even three yet. And I said, oh, yeah. you know, like everybody's going to tell you something different. I yeah, said, but yeah. this is my two cents. I can do so many different things through play and through... Oh, yeah you know, fun therapy, that's fun. Like therapy should be yeah. really fun for the clinician and for the child. And I know that when I first started in the field and especially working with autistic students who potentially had problem behavior that was a barrier to their learning, even really young students that would come in, I just felt like I'm not sure what to do with this client. And I remember talking to my supervisor and she said, well, you should just work on joint attention. And, you know, as a 23-year-old speech therapist, I really, and not having my own kids then, I just didn't understand what she meant really. Like, you know, how, yeah. well, how do I even get started? on that. So, you know, if parents or if, if providers, you know, have this, create this atmosphere where things are really fun and functional, do you have any ideas? Like we talked about playing with toys that maybe don't have batteries. Um, we've talked about yeah, that in yes. previous episodes. So um, we say like ditch the batteries, like, you know, these aren't going to be the hot toys you see in like the Christmas or Hanukkah, like, you know, circular for guests yeah, and things yeah. like that. But what are some of your favorite toys that um, I know you mentioned a couple, but that really we can work on attention and this type of engagement. Do you have any ideas? Because oftentimes I find that people really want me to tell them like, you know, buy these toys. This is how you can use this in therapy. Do you have a couple go-tos that you kind of coach people on using? True. Um, 
my philosophy, and I, I wonder if you agree, is it doesn't matter what you're playing with, it's mm-hmm. how you're playing. Mm-hmm. But I do find that a lot of therapists want to know, like, tell me your top five toys because right. I'm nervous and I'm scared <laughs> and I need things. Yes. yes. <laughs> and so, you know, I've made a lot of videos with a lot of um, toy recommendations. And, but again, it, it comes down to that mindset. Are you watching the kid? Are you about connection or are you working on your own agenda? But my go-to toys, and I try and use them in a a variety of ways. Um, There's this balloon pump that I love. I've got like seven different, I have a video on seven different ways that I use this balloon pump. I can play for a full hour with a child, (laughs) this one balloon pump, and guess who's going to have just as much fun? Me. (laughs) Right. Uh, So I love a a versatile toy, Um, a balloon pump. I love a ball. I love bubbles. I love having some pen and paper and, you know, markers, washable markers or something like that. I usually don't have a lot of books for Mm two-year-olds. Not a lot. If it is a book, it's a puppet book. Yeah. (laughs) It's silly and it moves and I'm tickling the kid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's say I went into a therapy with a a kiddo and I forgot my backpack that happened to me one time. (laughs) Oh dear. I forgot my backpack. Oh dear. And the parents didn't have a lot of choice. Mm-hmm. So my go-to toys were hands, body, facial expressions. And mm-hmm. I was just being a goofball with the kiddo. And I did a lot of songs and we did a lot of movements and it's a great session. And it was good for the parents to see too, that right. it's, it's not about things. Right. It's about you. And I know yeah. some, I know some states have that, and I'm not sure if you're more aware of that, but there's definitely some states that subscribe to some type of methodology. I don't know if it's called bagless or where yes. you, you don't bring anything into the home, like you're not allowed, right? And you just have to use things that are in the child's environment. Have you? I don't live in a state that subscribes to yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely heard that. I haven't heard it as being like a, a rule, but okay. based on company. So company oh. that's working with this state program, they say our policy is bagless and our yeah. policy is minimal toys and things like that. And I, I like it as a philosophy and I like the challenge of it. A new therapist may not be ready for that. And that would be really <laughs> <Yes>. challenging. <laughs> yeah, I think it's better to use the, the parents' toys as well. I, I got into a habit of bringing toys from the dollar store and yeah. oops, left it. Yeah. Oh, could you do that every day with them texting mom? Could right. you do that every day with your kiddo? I can't wait to hear what they learn. You know, as a dollar dollar toy store. So yeah, yeah. It, it didn't matter to me. And um and that that kind of worked out, you know. And then teaching parents how to use recyclables and turn yes. uh, like a Clorox container, you know, the tub, mm-hmm. turn that into a, a silly caterpillar that likes to eat food and right. we give it pretend food and it eats it up and things I think like that. Sure. So, I think speech therapists are very creative in that sense that we could make anything a therapy yeah. material. Yeah. And yeah, I think sometimes though parents feel or, or newer therapists just feel kind of like, am I doing this right? You know, is this the right thing to do? And so mm. oftentimes when I'm working with parents, I mean, I'll model all those different things in the session. But what I liked you said is like, you kind of point out like, see, see what happened in that moment. Like this was a teachable yes. moment. And I try to, you know, like with the kid in the shoe and he was trying trying to put it on everybody. I was trying to talk to the mom about how really cool that was and how exciting that moment was because it went beyond just him having it or picking it up or labeling it. It was almost like a play, which I was very excited about. And I think sometimes as new therapists, you might feel kind of hesitant to point those things out. I don't know. I think I was probably just, I think when you're new in the field, you're kind of nervous, aren't you? Just especially working with parents. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, you've just spent all this money and time and you want to do 
great job and change the world. (laughs) It is hard. You got to just get in there, right? And get started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, an example popped into my mind with my little brother, actually, when he was two year old and, uh, you know, I wasn't a speech therapist, but I was learning um, a lot in school and as a preschool teacher. And yeah, he didn't have any actual understandable words. And sure, we could play with toys, but sometimes we'd just be silly and he'd be sitting on my lap and we'd count freckles. And he couldn't even pronounce any of the words, but yeah. he had a lot of cute little freckles. Oh. So we counted them. One, and then he went along with me and we had a lot of connection in that moment. And that's a memory that I still have. He's 16 years old now oh, and that's <laughs> no toys involved counting freckles. That's cute. And that's what I tell people too, is that once you kind of understand a little bit more about the foundational skills that you want to work on with students and how they typically learn language, that especially for parents, they'll they'll start to understand these foundational skills and then they'll feel more comfortable realizing that communication doesn't just happen at the table or doesn't just happen at speech therapy, but it really happens across the whole day. And I think that as anybody gets more comfortable with understanding that, then they see all these little moments that we get so excited about, you know? Yes. Those moments. Yeah. That become memories. And, yes. And yeah. moments, so that's really cute. I love that. Such great information. So we always end the podcast with these last two questions. Sure. What is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to parents or professionals about communication? Hmm. Related to what we've been saying, maybe expressed in a different way. Pressure. Goodbye. Take that pressure out. Take it off you as a parent. Perfection. Mm-mm, that's not going to help us. Okay. And I struggle with the idea of the perfection as well. So taking that pressure out, not worrying about the, the milestones, connection. 100% about connection. If I could get a parent to focus on connection for one week over any other goals, I guarantee you the child's going to have improved play skills, improved social skills, and improved even early language communication skills. I love that. So great. So true. Um, So where can people find out more about you and your work? Oh, yeah. Google search walkie-talkie speech therapy or Kayla Chaco. I'm going to pop up all over the place. (laughs) Yes. I am way too visible online. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I've been making a lot of materials for parents over the years and therapists have found that helpful as well. And so Google search walkie-talkie speech therapy, you'll find me. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in and make sure to visit us at abaspeech.org. We have two new autism courses. One is for school-age students and one is for toddlers and preschool-age students. And if you haven't done so already, make sure that you like and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because I always love hearing from you. Remember to keep things fun and functional and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much, Kayla. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.